So there is going to be a, a lot in this today, and so I'm going to have to go fast through the first part, uh, but we are definitely still right in this series that we're just calling the By Faith series. And, and every single week, we're looking at a by faith statement out of Hebrews 11, uh, all around the life of Moses. Uh, and, and each week, as we look at, at these statements, we get to see a genuine, authentic, practical look at what it means to truly live by faith. And the heart of this series uh, is coming from something I just believe the Lord has just laid so heavy on my heart, and that is to prepare our people for the season of life that we're in and the season that we're heading into. I think that the world is growing more and more difficult each day. I think that it's becoming more and more difficult to be a true follower of Christ in this country. And I think that we're entering into a season where the culture is going to force all believers uh, to get off the fence and to either conform to the culture or to conform to Christ and either live by the wisdom and the ways of the culture or to truly learn to live by faith. And that's the heart of what we're looking at through the course of this series. My hope and my prayer and what I believe the Lord is gonna do in each and every single one of our lives is truly teach us and empower us to learn to live by faith every single day. And I would say, in my opinion, that the by faith statement we're gonna look at today in Hebrews eleven twenty eight, 28 is, in my opinion, probably the most important one in this series. And so I, I wanna dig deep into this, and I'm gonna have to move quick, uh, but I, I want us to see this. And I think that, I think that if you will uh, let the Lord speak to you this morning, I truly believe you will see things maybe in a way you haven't seen them before. And that may make sense here in a few minutes. But I wanna look at this. I wanna read this. This is Hebrews 11, verse 28. This is the fourth by faith statement. This is what it says. By faith, he, Moses, by faith, he kept or made the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So I don't want anybody to raise their hands, but if you didn't grow up in church or you don't know the context or the story behind this statement, that is a confusing slash weird statement. There is a lot of things in there that if you don't know the full context, it's not gonna make any sense. What's a Passover? If you don't know, you don't know. What's a destroyer of the firstborn? That sounds terrifying. What does it mean to sprinkle blood somewhere? That's weird too. So the reason I think that this is gonna take just a second to make sure we're all on the same page is because this is one of the weirdest statements if you don't know the story, but it's one of the most powerful statements if you do. And so I wanna make sure that we all are 100% on the same page, whether you've been following Christ for 50 years or if this is literally your first time ever hearing the word of God preached at all, I wanna make sure that, that we can fully grasp the power of what's happening and truly what Moses did by faith. And so the heart of this comes from uh, the people of Israel or God's people, the Hebrew people, being fully enslaved in the land of Egypt. And I know that there's a few things that I'm about to say, and I just wanna go ahead and put this in your minds. There's a few things that I'm about to say that you might not have ever thought about before, but I believe that it, it, it radically enhances and hopefully will change our perspective on the story itself. 
So one of the things I think that, that a lot of people don't realize uh, is that God was at this point in history when Egyptian, when Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world, in the known world, and the Hebrews were fully enslaved by Egypt. In this season of history, almost no one in the whole world knew who God was. No one. Except for a few people who hung around Abraham, except for a few people who hung around Isaac and Jacob, except for a few people within Egypt uh, that remembered Joseph and remembered the God of Joseph. Uh, there was a, a short season of history where Joseph uh, was uh, exalted by God to be the second in control only to the king of Egypt and that he ruled over Egypt and that in that short season of history, Pharaoh had a respect for Joseph and for the God of Joseph and the Egyptians recognized and realized that whoever the God of Joseph was had just performed a great miracle to save Egypt and to save God's people and to save the surrounding peoples of Egypt. But the Bible makes it clear that that generation came and went fast and that even within Egypt, by Pharaoh's own account, they had no idea who the God of Joseph was or who Joseph was in any world respect. And once you leave Egypt, there is nowhere in the world that knows God. One of the things that I think that we don't realize or we don't think about is that the situation in Egypt, God freeing the Hebrew people and separating them from Egypt and destroying Egypt was God for the first time since Noah, the first time since the flood, God was making himself known once again to the whole world. That this is the heart of God and the plan of God with the way that he went through freeing the Hebrew people. And so what God did was he, he raised up Moses uh, from the wilderness to bring him back into Egypt. And God gave Moses several supernatural signs that, so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians would know that he wasn't just some crazy old man coming in off the streets. And so one of the things that I wanna establish really fast is that God was doing two things and he's gonna tell you himself here in just a minute. God was making his name known all over the world through what he was doing in Egypt. And that the 10 plagues were simultaneously judgment on Egypt and also acts of mercy. Because each plague gave the Egyptians an opportunity to hear the word of the Lord, to fear the word of the Lord, and to obey the word of the Lord. Each plague, each opportunity that God gave Pharaoh and God gave the Egyptians was another act of mercy. It was another opportunity to come to their senses and to realize that the God of Moses and the God of the Hebrew people was a true, one true God and was far more powerful than any God that they had ever known. Another thing that I think that doesn't quite sit well with us in our modern era is I think because we've tried to block out the idea of other powers, of demonic powers and, and powers of darkness, but that one of the things that the Bible teaches very clearly is that in this season of history, all of the nations of the earth, every single nation of the earth was worshiping and bowing down to not false idols that they made up, but that they were actually serving 
little gods, demon gods, fallen angels. And we know this to be true in Egypt because when Moses first showed up to talk to Pharaoh, and you've got to understand the relational connection between Moses and Pharaoh, the current Pharaoh that Moses came back to was probably his adopted cousin or maybe even his adopted brother. So Moses himself, his name and who he was got him in the palace. But it was the power of God on Moses' life that kept him there and kept him safe. And so when Moses first shows up to Pharaoh, he says, God, my God, the God of the Hebrew people came to me and he wants us to leave Egypt and go out for three days and worship him on the mountain of God. And Pharaoh's exact words were, I don't know your God, so why should I listen to him? And then Moses, to prove that he was truly from God, he laid down his staff and his staff turned into a snake. And then Pharaoh does something that is uh, unexpected. He calls two of his sorcerers and they come and they lay down their staffs and their staffs turn into snakes. So what this proves is that there are two gods here. There is a demon at work in Egypt and then there is the most high God, the true God, the one true creator God, our God. And God establishes this by Moses' staff that turned into a snake, eating the other two snakes and then turning back into a staff. This was an act of mercy. This was God revealing himself to Pharaoh and revealing himself to the Egyptians to let him know, I know that you have felt other powers before. I know that you serve these other gods, but I want you to understand that I'm the one who created you and I'm the one who loves you and I want you to walk away from the demon gods and I want you to serve the one true God, me. And so as God goes through these, these plagues, each one gets more and more intense. And the first few don't touch people, they just touch nature. And God does this to establish once again the reality and the heart of the Hebrews and the heart of the Egyptians that he is the all-powerful, one true God. And then around the fifth or sixth plague, things begin to change. And I, I, want, I want to go to this and I want us to read this because it introduces this thought and God makes his heart super clear. And the reason that I think that this is important is because God gave the Egyptians an opportunity to know him, to hear him, to hear his word, to fear his word, to obey his word. And God would have allowed them to be saved. And you'll see that in just a minute, had they heeded his word. And so I, I, want, us, I want us to see this in Exodus 9, start with verse 13. It says, then the, the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So he says, if I wanted to just crush you and free my people, I could have done that in the first second. 
He said, but I'm giving you an act of mercy. I'm giving you an opportunity to see my power, to trust my power, to walk away from the culture and to walk away from your demon gods and to walk away from your idols and to serve me and to serve me alone. And he says, but if you don't, God, knowing that they wouldn't, he said, I'm going to use you, Egypt, to show the rest of the world my power so that my name will be made great and be made known all over the earth. And we know that this worked because when the Israelites showed up to the land of Canaan 40 years later, the Canaanites were terrified because they knew what the God of the Hebrews did to Egypt. And so this was God's purpose, literally to introduce himself back to creation. This is the first time that God's doing this. And God says, you are still, despite you seeing my power, despite you knowing that I am truly here, despite you seeing my, my, the work of my hands, you're still, verse 17 says, you're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hell to fall such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into a safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hell falls on them. Now, this is the, this is the reason we're reading this scripture. I want you to hear the heart of the Lord. And I want you to see the opportunity that he's giving, not just the Hebrews, but the Egyptians. And then I want you to see this one word because this is the word of the day. In verse 20, Exodus 9, 20, then it says, then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. The heart of what I want you to see here is that there is significant power in hearing the word of the Lord fearing the word of the Lord and obeying the word of the Lord. That even the Egyptians, the bad guys, the evil ones, the wicked who were serving demon gods, when they saw the power of God at work and they begin to hear the word of the Lord, fear the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord, God allowed them to be saved from their obedience. The reason I'll use the word fear is because this is the word that God uses here in this scripture. And fear does not mean terrified in the way that we may think about fear. The way that I wanted to define fearing the word of the Lord this morning is this, believing it so fiercely that you cannot help but to obey it. Fearing the word of the Lord is believing it so fiercely you cannot help to obey it. And what I want you to see in this is that this is the first opportunity that the Egyptians really have to hear the word of the Lord, fear the little Lord, and obey it. And some of them do and some of them don't. But the first time that the Hebrews get the opportunity to hear it, fear it, and obey it is the 10th plague. Every other plague up to this moment had not touched the Hebrews. God had made it known that he could bring judgment on Egypt while protecting his own people. In the same way that God judged the whole earth during the flood and saved Noah, in the same way that God judged and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah but saved Lot, the same way that God's gonna bring judgment down upon this earth but save us, 
God's proving this to the Egyptians and to the Hebrews. The 10th plague is the first time that Moses and the first time that the Hebrew people have the opportunity to put their money where their mouth is. This is the first time they have the opportunity to act on the faith that they say they have in God. And so uh, this is, I wanna read this to you because this is what the Passover is. The 10th plague uh, was the worst of all the plagues. The 10th plague uh, was God bringing significant judgment both on Pharaoh, on the Egyptians, and on the gods of the Egyptians. And I'm gonna read that to you in just a minute. But this, this judgment, the 10th judgment, the 10th plague was God passing through Egypt and an angel named the destroyer was gonna take the life of every firstborn in all of Egypt and the Hebrews and anyone that did not obey what God had given them to obey. And I wanna read that to you in Exodus 12, verse one. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So I wanna make this real clear. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I wanna make it real clear. God, I know it sounds weird. When we think about sacrifices or we think about you know, blood and we think about this, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't compute well with us. But in reality, every single day you sit down, unless you're a vegan and you don't have any real taste in your life, and if, unless you sit down, no offense. Well, maybe that's offense, I don't know. But unless you sit down and you're eating a non-animal food, something had to die. In, in all aspects, this is what God's saying to do. Get a lamb and have dinner with your family. But I want you to make this a perfect lamb. And when you kill the lamb to cook it, which is not weird, we do it all the time, we do it every day. You just don't see it happen. God says, when you kill the lamb, I want you to take a little bit of blood and I want you to put it on the doorpost outside your house. And this is gonna be a sign for you and he's about to tell you why. And he says, but when you eat this lamb, when you, when you roast this lamb and you cook this lamb and you sit down as a family to eat, he said, I want you to be ready to go. I want you to be dressed, I want your clothes on, I want your belt fastened, and I want your staff in your hand and your shoes on your feet because I'm about to do a thing, and when I do a thing, you're gonna be free, you're gonna move on. This is, you're, you're beginning a new life, a life with me. You're gonna be freed and saved from Egypt. And so it's not as weird as it may sound on the surface. But what God's doing, and he tells us in Exodus 12, verse 12, he said, I want you to do this 
for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. He is destroying their trust in these demon gods. That's the heart of what God is doing. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So he says, when you sit down and when you do this and you kill the lamb and you take the blood and you put it on the doorposts and then you sit down and you eat with your family ready to go, when I pass through Egypt and the destroyer begins to destroy the firstborn, when I see the blood on the, door stop, on, the, on the door frame of your house, instead of passing through that house, I'll pass over that house and you'll be saved. And the blood is a sign of what? A blood is a sign that everybody in that house heard the word of the Lord, feared the word of the Lord, and obeyed the word of the Lord. This was the Hebrews' first opportunity to actually act on their trust in God. And this introduces for the first time the idea of faith in Christ. The heart of this, the Passover is a shadow and a type pointing to the death of Jesus Christ himself. At the end of the day, that is the heart of what God is asking us to believe. This is the, the, the doorway to salvation is Jesus. To believe that Jesus, like this perfect lamb, that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who was perfect and pure in every way, humbled himself to this earth, as Philippians teaches us, humbled himself to this earth to die, but not just any death, but die a death on a cross. And that when his blood was spilled and his flesh was torn, that this was the death needed, the pure death needed. This is why God calls Jesus the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth, that God had set apart his own son to be the sacrificial lamb that would pay the price for all the sins of the earth. And what salvation is, is us believing in our heart of hearts, hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, fearing the gospel, and then putting our faith and trust in Jesus. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that salvation, that the blood that was spilled covers us, the righteousness of Jesus becomes our righteousness, and and God the Father, fully satisfied in the sacrifice of his son, never holds our sins against us ever, ever again in this life or in the next. So that when we stand before Christ on judgment day, as the destroyer passed through Egypt, but passed over the house covered with blood, judgment and wrath will pass through eternity destroying all of those who do not have the blood of Christ covering their sins. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what Christ asks us to believe. Now, there's a beauty in that. There's nothing more beautiful or more powerful than the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And I felt like I had to say all of that to make sure that we were all on the same page so that we could go back to Matthew or to Hebrews 11:28 
and then see what this act of faith truly was. So in Hebrews eleven twenty eight, it says, by faith, Moses kept or made the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, I hope that everybody in the room and everybody at home understands each part to this. I think we know he means Moses. I think we know the Passover uh, means that, that God uh, saved those who had the blood on the door. We know that sprinkle the blood means it's the blood on the door. And we know that the destroyer was the angel that went through and killed all the firstborn Egyptians, both man and beast. Now, I think we have a full understanding of the scripture. So what was the by faith statement? What, what did Moses do by faith? Moses, by faith, he heard the word of the Lord, he feared the word of the Lord, and he obeyed the word of the Lord. What I wanna talk about this morning is the significant difference between hearing the word of the Lord, believing the word of the Lord, but not obeying or doing the word of the Lord there is a substantial, substantial difference. I also wanna make something clear this morning. I need everybody to hear me because the enemy will do everything in his power to confuse you. He'll do everything in his power to bring undue guilt or shame upon your life. He'll do everything in his power to try to trigger your heart. This conversation that we are about to have is not about salvation. This conversation that we're about to have is directed to those who have already put their faith in Jesus and are saved by grace through faith. This is about Christians who hear the word of the Lord on a regular basis, but have no fear of the word of the Lord. They don't believe it fiercely enough that they can't help to obey it. And that in many areas of their life, they have no obedience. It takes faith to hear the word of the Lord, to fear the word of the Lord, and to obey the word of the Lord. It takes significant faith. And I wanna look at that this morning because that's what this Hebrews eleven twenty eight. that's what this is depicting. That was the faith that Moses had. That was the faith that the Hebrew people had. They heard the word of the Lord. They believed it so fiercely that they could not help to obey it. And then they actually put action to their faith and they obeyed the Lord. This is something that has fallen short in the American church. We no longer believe that it is important to hear, fear, and obey the word of the Lord. There has been so much hyper grace taught that we feel like we are saved by grace through faith, so obedience is now optional. And I wanna be really clear. Your salvation is a gift to you from Jesus Christ. Grace is sufficient to cover all sins. And the grace of Christ is so sufficient and the power of the cross is so sufficient and the blood of Jesus is so sufficient that when you truly put your faith in Jesus Christ and you become saved and he fills you with the spirit and you become a son or a daughter of God, nothing can pluck you out of the hand of God. You are eternally saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. If you could screw it up, you would screw it up. 
We are secure by the work of Christ and by the faithfulness of God, not our own. That said, obedience is not optional. That said, God still hates sin. That said, God is working in your life to bring about a brand new person. Your position in Christ is solidified by the faithfulness of Jesus. But there is a thing called sanctification. A better word that I like is transformation. The Bible uses that word too. That's transforming you or conforming you from the state Christ found you in into a full-blown, perfect image of Jesus Christ, depicting his righteousness, holiness, his wisdom, and his power. And the walk that we have with Christ does require, and I know people don't like the word require, but it does require us to trust him and to follow him and to obey him wherever he goes. And I wanna show you that this morning. I wanna show you the damage that comes to the life of a Christian, a true, authentic, genuine Christian who hears the word of the Lord but has no fear of it, who hears the word of the Lord but never strives to obey it. I wanna look at this. First, I wanna go to Mark 4 because this is something that is it's deep and it's powerful and it's something that I think that we need to hear as a church, especially in this current season of history where it seems optional to it completely ignore certain aspects of scripture. If the church, I don't wanna go there, I'll get too mad. If the church, while you're flipping, Mark 4, in the, if the church compromises on the word of God, what hope does our culture have? And if preachers compromise on the word of God, what hope does their church have? And if the church isn't alive, then the church will be worthless when it comes to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in a true, genuine, powerful way. What I'm teaching us this morning is ultimately why the American church is so powerless. Why the American church I knew I shouldn't have started this. Why we have all of the resources. We have more resources than any other point in time in history. We have more preachers than any other time in history. We have more influence than any other time of history. We have everything that we could ever ask for, yet we do absolutely nothing with it. Because somewhere along the line, some preacher started standing on a stage and telling you obeying Christ was optional. It's not optional. Obeying Christ is the opportunity and the gift that he's given us. Apart from Christ, you couldn't obey him if you wanted to. People don't realize, people think that, that, that God, the sin in our life, God wants to punish what you don't realize that the Bible teaches is that sin being in your life is punishment for not trusting God. God doesn't punish you with it. When you turn away from Christ and you ignore it, sin creeps into your life and sin is what brings destruction. But when we hear the word of the Lord and we fear the Lord of the Lord and we begin to obey the word of the Lord, there is a power that begins to rest on us that empowers us to walk in righteousness and holiness and to be used by God in ways that we could never imagine. All right? If we're conforming to the culture, there will be literally no power from heaven on our lives. 
But if we let the Holy Spirit through the word of God renew our minds and transform us into the image of Christ, then we will have a power that rests on our life that innately will begin to change things in and around us. And so I want you to understand the, the risk of what I'm talking about this morning and what I'm trying to give us. I'm trying to give you the heart of where power truly comes from. I wanna show you something in Mark 4. It starts with verse 21. Now, what's leading up to this? God, Jesus gives us one of the most detailed parables in scripture. It's the par traditionally known as the parable of the sower, and it's all about the word of God. And he says, you know, uh, uh, a farmer sowing seed and some seed goes here and some seed goes there and some seed goes there. And then there's all these things that, that happen and take place. But ultimately, uh, the seed, when it gets in good soil and good soil is defined as soil that hears it and accepts it, believes it, that it produces significant fruit for the kingdom of heaven. All right, that's the primary thing. So the heart of this is the word of the Lord. He's talking about the word of the Lord. Then he goes directly into Mark 4 and he gives us another mini parable but he gives us a great warning and a great caution here when it comes to the word of the Lord, specifically around hearing the word of the Lord. This is what Mark 4 says. It says, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? So he says, when you, when you light a lamp, you're not supposed to hide it, right? Everybody, we get that? I've been playing, are you smarter than a fifth grader with my daughter? All right. Are we smarter than a fifth grader? Do we understand that? That's, it's not mystical, magical, mysterious. He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? The lamp is representing the word of God as everything in these few parables. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So he says, there are mysteries and secrets and things hidden within the word of God. But Jesus is telling you right now, everything that's in the word of God is there to be made manifest in your life. It's there so that the secrets will come to light. He's saying the word of God exists so that you will know the deep, mysterious truths of God. He says, everything that I've given you in the word of God is there like a light. He said, I want you to know it. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. I want you to learn it. I'm going to give it to you. So th this is the part. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something. Have you found it difficult in your life to read the word of the Lord and to truly hear and understand it? And he's saying, I'm going to teach you every word. I'm going to give you all the knowledge. God isn't a respecter of persons. It's not like some people are more special than other people and other people get deeper revelations of God's word than other people. That's not the heart. That's not the way God works. He's saying right here and right now, I, every single secret, every single truth, every single knowledge that exists in my word, I want to be made known to you. Now he's gonna give us the other half of this and it matters. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
And we're talking about the word of God. So he says this, he goes, I want you to understand everything in the word of God I want to teach you. I want you to know it. I want to put it in your heart. I want to put it in the depths of your soul. I want every, I want every, and this is what Jesus said to the disciples. You're my friends and I want to tell you everything. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to teach you everything. He's going to guide you into, into all the truth. He's even going to declare to you the things to come. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to, there's, there's so much more Jesus says that I want to tell you, but I don't have time and you can't handle it right now. But when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and he's going to make everything known to you. So this is the heart of God for the word of God to be in the depths of our heart, soul, and mind. But he says, what you hear and how you respond to it is going to depict how much more truth you get in your life. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. I wanna read this one scripture in the original Greek so that you can see the way it's written. Same scripture, verse 24. And he was saying to them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you measure it, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. What this means is this. When you read the word of God, how do you measure what you hear? How do you value it? What do you think of it? When you come into this room on Sunday mornings or you gather together with your family and your friends at house church and I begin to preach a message and you hear the word of the Lord and you hear the knowledge of the Lord and you hear the wisdom of the Lord, how do you value it? How do you measure it? Imagine, imagine uh, the, this term measure. Imagine if, if, if you had the opportunity to have a measuring cup and God gave you a, a bucket of the word of God and you took that measuring cup that was a, a full cup, but you only got a couple teaspoons in it and you walked away with it. What God's saying is, is that if you have the opportunity to measure the fullness of this word, but you didn't value it enough, that you don't think it's important, that you don't respect it, that you don't revere it, that you don't fear it, that it's not important to you and that you just take little bits of it here and there, that what he's gonna do is he goes, whatever way you measure what I give you is the same way that it's gonna be measured back to you. So if you deeply value God's word and whatever size measuring cup he gives you, you fill it up as much as you can get of it and you value it and you love it and you cherish it and you bring it into your life, Christ says, however you value it, however you measure it, I'm gonna measure it right back to you. So if you deeply love the word of God and you deeply value the word of God and you measure it as much as you can possibly get, Christ says, I'm gonna give you as much as you can handle, as much as you fear it, as much as you take it in, as much as you value it, as much as you add into your life is how much I'm gonna fill you up with my word. But if you don't value it, and you, you, you don't think it's important and you don't add it into your life and you don't fear it, whatever you measure is gonna be measured back to you. So if you sit in here this morning and you're at home and you hear the word of the Lord, but you don't really value it and you just kind of brush it off and you just kind of hear it and you walk away like you're at a TED talk or like you're in ninth grade science, 
and this is just something you're sitting through because you're in the South and that's what you do and your wife made you come? Or you're sitting in this room and you think that, that this book was written by a man and not the God who created the world? If you come into this room Sunday or you sit around uh, the TV with your family and friends and you do house church and you treat this book as unholy and you think there's things that are optional in it and you don't fully understand that the God who created the universe wrote it and that he sent his son to die on a cross so that he could have a relationship with you and he could speak to you through it and that he gives you the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, his self comes into your body, into your life to dwell with you so that he could teach you the fullness of the word of God, but you don't value the sacrifice of Christ enough to value the word that he died to give you. He said, then you'll come in and you'll go out, but the word of God will be measured to you in the way that you value it. So this is why people can sit in a church, even a God-fearing church with a God-fearing pastor and hear the word of the Lord week after week after week after week and have absolutely zero life change because you measure the word of God like it's nothing. And the difference between you and me and God is God knows how much he's worth. And if there's wise businessmen who won't invest their worthless dollar bills into businesses that they don't think would use their money well, how much more do you think the God who knows the importance of his word isn't gonna waste his word on your life? The other thing I wanna say is it's an act of mercy to not give you any more truth than you can handle because once you know something, you'll be held accountable for it. And if you're a person who does not value the word of God, if you value podcasts over the word of God and you value books over the word of God and you value Joe Rogan over the word of God and you value presidents over the word of God and you value cultural movements over the word of God and you value social justice leaders over the word of God and you have anything in your life that you measure as more valuable than the word of God, then you have no fear of the word of God. So you're never gonna respond to the word of God. So you're never gonna grow and you're never gonna expand and you're never gonna experience the freedom that he died to give you. I, I, I wanna give you this in, in James, and I, I wanna close with this. This is James 1, and this is a pretty well-known scripture. It's hearing the word of the Lord, but not doing anything with it. Be, be a doer, not a hearer. This is a pretty famous scripture, it's pretty well-known. But I wanna read this to you, I wanna show you something maybe you've not seen before. And this is James 1:22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. In the Greek, it just says what manner he was. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if, if you don't know any better, you might look at that and you might feel like, man, that's like kind of tough and rough. No, it's not. It's God giving you a crazy, powerful promise. He says, be doers of the word. If you're hearers only, you deceive yourself. Now that word deceive, we had to choose that word because that's the closest word that we have in the English language that connects to this, this Greek word. What that Greek word actually means is more along the lines of miscalculated. Uh, it, it, it means, it literally, it, it means when you bring two forms of reason together, you choose the wrong one. 
That's the heart of what that word means. And so what he's saying is every time you hear the word of the Lord, the same way that Pharaoh and the Egyptians heard the word of the Lord, 10 different occasions. When you sit in here this morning and you hear the word of the Lord, there is a, a, a reasoning in your mind that sets up. And you have to make a decision. Am I gonna hear the word of the Lord? And do I believe that word of the Lord? Do I really believe that's from the Lord? And do I really fear that? Am I gonna bring that into my life? Or am I gonna go a different direction? And what this is saying is if you hear it, but you don't act on it, and you go in a different direction, you have deeply miscalculated. So you've, the closest word we can get is you've deceived yourself by hearing the word and not responding to it, by hearing the word and not acting on it, by hearing the word and not bringing it into your life, by hearing the word and not striving to obey it, you have miscalculated. And now you're gonna go in a direction God does not want you to go, period. He, he intensifies this by saying, it's like when you look into a mirror, he's trying to get you to understand this. When you look into a mirror and you see yourself just for a moment, that's like looking into the word of God when God gives you a word, but then you don't do anything with it. It's when you leave, you no longer know what you look like. You lose memory of that word. What James is trying to teach you is the same thing that Jesus taught in Mark 4. That when you sit in a room like this, and there's a preacher preaching and all of a sudden you get a word from the Lord. You hear something and you feel the Holy Spirit and something connects with your soul and connects with your heart. Let's just use gossip. This is something we all can understand. You know, God just reveals to you in the middle of a message that gossip is an issue for you and gossip's gonna hurt you and hurt people around you and that gossip is truly a sin and it's wicked and that the Lord shows you this and it brings conviction and maybe you cry for a minute and you're like, yes, I, I recognize this about myself now and I, I wanna do something with it. But then you leave and you don't act on that in any way. Maybe a couple of days go by and then you just start gossiping again and you start going that direction and you never attach any action to that. What this Mark 4 is teaching and what James 1 is saying is that you're probably not gonna get another word of, from God until you go back to the one he already spoke and obey it. You... You look at yourself, you see the fullness of it, but then you go away and you forget and it's worthless to you. He says, versus the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now I love that it says perseveres and not perfects. Because what I think you may hear this morning is saying that you need to leave and be perfect. That's not what it says because that's impossible. It says what he's looking for, what faith is, what Moses did. They didn't do it perfectly, but they persevered in it. They kept striving for it. They kept walking in it. When they failed, they got back up and they kept going. David defined righteousness as a man who falls seven times, but always gets back up. So what, what Mark 4 is teaching, what James 1 is teaching, and what Moses did, that by faith statement, was that they, they heard the word of the Lord, they feared it, they believed it so fiercely that they could not help to obey it, and then they began to obey it, they tried to bring it into their life. 
and they persevered. So I'm not telling you, you've gotta be perfect. Don't hear that. I'm not saying that if you don't do this, God doesn't love you because he always loves you. I'm not saying you're gonna lose your salvation because you can't lose your salvation because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is, this is probably one of the reasons why many of us struggle the way that we do and why we feel disconnected from God in the way that we do is because we hear the word of the Lord, but we don't fear it. We hear the word of the Lord, but we don't obey it. And we don't even try. We don't attach any action. And so the heart of what I'm saying this morning, the reason I think that this is one of the most important by faith statements is because Jesus died to give you the opportunity to live in holiness and righteousness, something that you could not do apart from him. One of the gifts of salvation is purity, is righteousness, is holiness. Wrapped up in that is joy and peace and goodness that you can't imagine or understand. And so what Christ is trying to get you to, to believe is that he's given you so much in this word. And when you hear it and you believe it so fiercely that you can't help to obey it and then you start to put action to that and strive and head in that direction, he says, you will be blessed in what you do. Do you know why you feel like you're failing over and over and over again? Do you know why you, you feel like I just can't get ahead, I just can't go, I just can't, I just can't do it? It's because you quit. It's because you try for a minute and then you stop. And what he's saying is, is that if you will look at this thing that God gives you in his word and you will strive after that and you will begin to bring some real action into your life, he says, God says, I'm gonna bless you while you do that. I'm gonna help you while you do that. I gotta quit preaching. I don't wanna quit, but I have to quit. I love you guys with all my heart. We need to be doers of the word because there is power in it. We need to be doers of the word because it changes us. We need to be doers of the word because Christ died to give us the opportunity to live that life. He loves you so deeply and he has so much planned for you. And all of that begins with you hearing the word of the Lord, fearing the word of the Lord and obeying the word of the Lord.